Welcome to Trusted Journalism Matters podcast brought to you by the World Media Group and my name is Belinda Barker. Today's podcast is slightly different from our usual series where we talk to editors from our member organisations about what brought them into journalism and what journalism means to them. So today I am at going to be talking to Fiona O'Brien. Fiona is the UK Bureau Chief for Reporters Without Borders, also known as Reporters Sans Frontières. Now, Reporters Without Borders is our charity partner, and they do amazing work in supporting journalism around the world, including here in the UK. We support them both financially in a fairly small way, but through our World Media Awards. And we are building out a program over the next six months or so where we are promoting the charity through our member brands as well to build awareness for the charity and their work. Now, right now, it is quite crucial for us in two ways. One, one, it's it's particularly relevant because Reporters Without Borders annually publish an index which they call their it's your free press freedom index. That's the correct terminology of it, which has been happening for a number of years. And whilst we are going to talk about the results of that during the next few 15-20 minutes, I really recommend that you go onto the website and read the report in full because it is absolutely fascinating. And the other reason why it's so important, and I I think maybe some people will consider our brands to be a step back from the front line of reporting, and perhaps to, to some degree that can be true. And often when we're talking to editors, we... The editors themselves more often are the people who do sit back in the office as opposed to talk to the reporters. But right now, Evan Gushkovich, I'm not good at pronouncing his surname, who is a reporter with the Wall Street Journal, is being held in a prison in Russia. And it brings it just brings it home to us how close we are to being in a place where journalism can no longer happen and we need to fight against it. I'm going to stop waffling on. Welcome, Fiona. Thank you for joining us today. I know you do have a history in journalism personally and as a lecturer in journalism. What was the personal motivation for you to move to Reporters Without Borders? Thanks, Belinda, for the introduction and thanks for having me on today. It's great to be here. Yes, as you said, I worked in journalism as a journalist for a long time. I was a foreign correspondent. I started in a local paper actually in the UK, but I was a foreign correspondent for most of my career and often in difficult areas. So I worked in Africa and the Middle East a lot, covered a lot of conflicts, lost a lot of friends along the way through through the line of work. So I think I've always been really aware just through my own personal reporting career of how dangerous it is, the world is for journalists to function. Then I moved into teaching journalism and had more time in that role to think about the context and the sort of broader um, press freedom issue. So not just physical safety, but thinking about things like legal frameworks and economic circumstances and that whole raft of things. 
And it was just a real privilege to be able to sidestep from that into Reporters Without Borders and spend the next part of my career not working as a journalist, but working for journalists to, to ensure that the profession, which has meant everything to me and continues to mean everything to me, can continue to function. So turning to the index, which you launched last week, it shows the environment for journalism is bad in seven out of 10 countries around the world and satisfactory in only three out of 10, which is a pretty shocking statistic. Were you surprised by these numbers? It is a shocking statistic. And actually, we rate as we give a ranking. So we say that places are good or satisfactory or the situation is very bad, etc. And our worst categorization, the red, very serious situation zone has a record number of countries in it this year. So it is very shocking. I can't say it was entirely surprising, sadly, because obviously one of the things we're doing at Reporters Without Borders is monitoring all year round, working with individual journalists and media organizations right around the globe. So we're very aware of these problems when the index comes out only once a year. But this is obviously something we're watching and analyzing all year long. The range of challenges facing journalists today is just really huge. So the most obvious would be physical threats to, to their safety. I don't know if you saw, but just yesterday, um, terribly sadly, a French journalist, Armand Soldat, became the 10th journalist to be killed in Ukraine since that conflict began. Oh. Um, the ninth was a man called Bogdan Bitik, who was only a couple of weeks ago, the end of April. So that's a, one example of a very deadly conflict for journalists. But if you think about since since 2000, since the year 2000, so in the last 20 or so years, 1,797 journalists worldwide have been killed while doing their jobs. So it's that's awful. Yeah, it's, it's I've got just, goosebumps on my arms. <laughs> statistics are horrendous. And then you mentioned Evan's case, which, of course, is another another problem is the imprisonment of people for trying to hold power to account for doing their job and writing things that might be inconvenient to those in power. And again, that's something that we see all around the world. There are currently, as of today, there are 562 journalists and media workers in prison around the world, one of whom is Evan Gershkovich, as you mentioned. In China alone, there are more than 100 journalists in prison. And it's a very convenient way for authorities to try and silence journalism using all sorts of pretexts. So it's often national security laws or accusing, in Evan's case, it's accusations of espionage or so this idea of working with collusion with foreign elements or all these sorts of flabby laws that are brought into play, or even sometimes completely random laws. So we increasingly see things like the weaponization of tax laws or fraud laws just to besmirch journalists' reputation. So that's another thing. And then if you think about the broader context, so that's the risk of imprisonment or the risk of death, which are obviously two of the huge things that we work with. But beyond that, there's growing online harassment of journalists around the world. Social divides are very divided within democracies. There's real sort of partisanship that's become increasingly pro problematic and linked very much to that online harassment. A very difficult economic climate for journalists worldwide as old funding models stop to work. It's been harder and harder in the digital age for journalism to, to find ways to survive and often just a general sort of feeling of animosity towards journalists, lack of trust, sometimes even hatred. So all those things come together to create a really difficult climate for journalists in many parts of the world, reflected in the number of countries which are now coloured red on our map. One of the focuses in the report is around AI, fake news and AI generated content, which is certainly something that, that obviously uh, the World Media Group brands are very don't participate in and are very conscious of and the impact that has on trust in journalism. 
So I'd be interested if you could say a little bit more about that, but also the Scandinavian countries, which year on year come do exceptionally well within your index. How, what are they doing to combat that the other countries aren't? So on the AI, first of all, and then I'll come back to Scandinavia, which, you like, yeah, as you say, is really interesting. On AI, it's a really big question and a difficult one. And one of the things that came through really strongly on our index was what a concern it is right around the world. So the way that the index is compiled, um, some of the analysis is quantitative. So looking at the number of abuses around the world. But there's also a qualitative element where we ask experts all around the world to answer a very extensive questionnaire. And This year, in 118 out of 180 countries which were surveyed, most respondents in 118 countries said that they were concerned about this, that there were the volume of disinformation, the way disinformation was being used systematically um, by those in in positions of power was really alarming. So we know it's a growing problem. And as technology advances, it becomes easier and quicker and to create fake images, fake news of all sorts, and also much quicker to to send them around the world, to put them in front of, of people. So it becomes very hard. And that what that also means is it's very difficult for audiences to understand whether they're looking at something that's true or false or something manufactured or something real. So it's a real problem for the industry and a very pressing problem that your industry leaders need to grapple with. If we look at Norway and the other Scandinavian countries, I mentioned Norway specifically because it's come first in the index for the seventh year in a row. So it's obviously doing something really right. And you're absolutely right. The rest of the Scandinavian region is always right up there in the green zone as well. It's not so much that they don't face the same challenges as anybody else. These big questions like AI, the digital landscape, online harassment, economic problems to a certain extent are universal in lots of ways. It's more about the way that they manage to handle those and the climate that they create around journalism to ensure that journalism, good, ethical, robust, independent, reliable journalism can still happen. So in Norway, for example, there's a strong legal framework safeguarding the right of journalists to function independently, to to report freely. In terms of the media market itself, it's very vibrant. There's a strong public service broadcaster, NRK, but there's also a diversified private sector. So we don't see the concentration of ownership, which can be problematic in other countries. The political environment there is largely favourable. You don't, by and large, politicians don't tend to label coverage they don't like as fake news. They accept that there can be critical coverage. They don't disparage its authors, again, which is something that we see often elsewhere. There are sort of competition authorities, protectorism. So it's all these different factors working together. It doesn't mean that there are no problems in Norway. While there are very few instances recorded, there are violence against journalists. There are reported threats, online harassment that doesn't know borders. These things can happen. But on the whole, their society and the state encourage independent journalism and encourage the exchange of ideas. And so that's why journalism is able to thrive. Just to give us contrast, where does the UK sit on the list? So the UK sits at 26 this year. It dropped two places from 24. First thing to say, I think, is that in a global context, although it's not nearly as high as we'd like it to be, we'd like to see the UK right up there in the top top few. It is still in the satisfactory zone. We're not talking about problems anywhere near the scale of the Chinas, the Irans, the North Koreas that we see at the other end of the list. And it's important to remember that. 
But that said, it is at 26. And that shows us that there are various problems that need that need resolving various things that are slightly worrying for us in terms of how media are able to function. Parts of the problems are legislative. There are some new laws coming through Parliament at the moment, which don't contain what we would consider robust protections for journalists. So one example of that is the National Security Bill currently going through quite, quite far into the process of becoming law. Through that parliamentary process, thanks to a lot of campaigning from us and many others as well, there has been some recognition that journalists need to be protected in some way within it. But even the changes brought to the law aren't strong enough to ensure that that they could that the law couldn't be abused in future so the sorts of things the law as it currently stands opens journalists up to especially journalists working for foreign owned media so if you had for example someone working for Irish state media Irish public broadcaster RTE or whatever that sort of or one of the the Australian broadcasting corporation or someone like that they could very quickly be accused of endangering national security or espionage even just for going about their sort of investigative work so it's not protective enough There's also the broader climate in the UK of restriction of civil liberties that we're seeing affect journalism. At the weekend, we had the coronation and a journalist was a filmmaker who was there. He's making a documentary about just stop oil protests, a sort of long term documentary project. And he was filming a planned protest. The protest hadn't actually begun. And he, along with protesters, was arrested by police, despite the fact that he showed his press accreditation, which he was wearing on a lanyard around his neck. His hands were handcuffed behind his back. He was frog marched through the crowds with everybody filming him. He was detained in Charing Cross Police Station for 18 hours and has been fingerprinted, interviewed, all that, treated like a criminal. And he's been released under investigation just for doing his job. And it's not, unfortunately, a one-off. Last year, there were four journalists, again, for covering protests, who were arrested unlawfully there's been an apology since from the police force that did it saying it was wrong but these things we're seeing this kind of creep of fairly authoritarian behaviors encroaching on what previously was a pretty free place for the press to function in the UK so that's a concern as well so the US also dropped they dropped three places um every I think this is almost a common belief that Donald Trump invented the term fake news, but fake news has existed for hundreds of years, if not thousands. But, you know, it it was something that very much came into mind during that era. But since Biden has taken over, they've dropped another three places, which I guess we might find surprising. Yeah, yeah, so that's right. So the US is down. It's still in the satisfactory zone, but much mm-hmm. lower. So it's at 45, having dropped from 42, as you say, three more places. Mm. It's true that the arrival of Biden has changed the tone of debate to some extent. There's a lot less animosity coming from the top level of government than there was during the Trump administration, for sure. But there are just many problems in the US for journalists. So there's a very partisan media. There are a lot of economic problems, a lot of layoffs. A lot of anti-media bills are being brought in, especially at local level. So bills that are making it harder for journalists to report critically on those in power, making it easier to be sued, for example, or increasing the risk of legal action against journalists who try and hold power to account. So again, that lack of legislative safeguard. Two journalists have died in the US doing their job in the last year, which obviously has a big impact on the ranking. Last September, A journalist called Jeff German in Las Vegas was shot outside his home. He'd done a lot of reporting 
on misconduct of those in office. And then in February this year, a journalist called Dylan Lyons was killed while reporting on a homicide. He was going about his work when he was shot doing his reporting. Add to all of that the fact that the US government is still seeking the extradition of Julian Assange for currently in prison in the UK, but for his revelations of US war crimes in Iraq and elsewhere and other revelations besides, which is a clear case of a government trying to punish the publisher rather than publish the perpetrator of the crime. So again, all those different things add up to make really quite a difficult climate still for journalism in the US. Going back to AI again, because it's becoming increasingly uh, accessible, I was at a conference, in fact, last week, and everybody, bar myself, had tested ChatGPT, which I found really shocking. I have since tested it because I wanted to see what everybody else was doing, and I was clearly behind the curve there. But what can quality international news sources like the, the brands in the WMG do to ensure that quality, that trusted journalism is recognised over AI content? I'm not, I, I don't see how it's possible, but... It's really difficult because mm. not only is AI this and other technologies, not only does it give us the ability to create increasingly sophisticated fake content very quickly or to, which is often used for, to distort real content. Mm -hmm. So you have what was in essence true but has been changed. It's also something that enables um, algorithms to, algorithms don't tend to prioritize quality. They tend to prioritize shout the loudest or those who are the most outraged. So it's very difficult for quality journalism to cut through sometimes. One thing we're championing at RSF is an initiative called the Journalism Trust Initiative, which is aimed specifically at this problem. Um, it's basically a way for quality media to self-certify. So they go through a, a an audit process, initially internal, and then if they want to, there's a, a, another stage, which is an external audit, which gives them the ability to show that they use robust news gathering methods and can be trusted and reliable. And then they have a, a certification, which is really helpful for audiences because it means when they're looking at something, they can trust that 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 particular media has been gathered in a reliable way and has gone through all the different gatekeeping processes that journalism journalism relies on. It's a badge of reliability, if you like. There are quite a few people who have signed up to that already, RTE in, in Ireland, France Télévision, CBC Canada. So some, that's something that's growing. We're about to soon announce who our certifier will be in the UK. So that kind of solution is being put forward as a way of trying to help media cut through. Because as you say, it's an increasingly difficult problem and something that we're going to have to really grapple with as an industry over the years and decades ahead. Um, so we've talked quite quite a lot about the politics and the index and various other things, but I'd be interested, and I know a little bit about what you do for the journalists are on the ground who are in danger or are having issues. But could you explain for the benefit of others what it is that, that you do? Yes. How do you in real terms support journalism? So in all sorts of ways, we do a lot of work around on the sort of bigger picture stuff with international bodies with governments local and national to try and solve these big problems that we've been touching on today in terms of helping individual journalists and media organizations 
it ranges from, so in Ukraine, for example, during the conflict there, we've been providing huge amounts of flak jackets and training and helmets and things to physically help journalists, insurance policies for independent journalists, that kind of thing. So it can be really practical things like that. Also emergency help for journalists whose lives are in danger in places like Afghanistan, Iran, wherever they're having problems. When journalists are imprisoned, we do a huge amount of work to try and secure their their release. That can be working with, it's usually all of them, working with families, working with lawyers, working with governments to try and get them to engage. Um, Usually a mixture of campaigning, which will be visible, but then a lot of advocacy behind the scenes as well. So all those sorts of things can come into play. And it does work. Uh, In March, we had a French journalist called Olivier Dubois, who was freed after being held hostage for 711 days in the Sahel region. And we'd been campaigning for nearly two years. Amidst all that kind of real darkness, when we look at things like the index, there are things that, you know, organizations like us working with partners always, but can achieve. Right now, we're really involved in the UK, especially in a campaign to try and secure the release of a British citizen called Jimmy Lai, who's been imprisoned in Hong Kong. He's a newspaper founder and has been a sort of champion of democracy. And as freedom has been the space for independent journalism has been closed and human rights have been throttled in Hong Kong since the handover and especially in the last two years. He's been put in prison and facing life imprisonment on utterly spurious charges, but just to to try and shut him up. And so we're very involved in campaigning. And in that instance, for example, a lot of the work is around trying to engage the British government to stand up for its citizen and to take action. So it can take all sorts of forms. We look at every case individually and what's most needed and what's the best approach. Always trying to obviously number one priority and the safety of the person themselves. So I'm sure you can't comment on Evan's specific situation, but I hope that quietly in the background, you're doing everything that you can for him. And for anybody listening to the podcast, you can use, there's a hashtag, which is just, I stand with Evan, if you want to support and help to raise awareness for his particular case. I guess last but not least, it would be, are there any ways that people listening to this podcast can help support your brilliant work? Um, The first thing to say, as you mentioned at the beginning, that some of your members have already been supporting with space for us to be able to publicise things that we're doing, which for which a huge thank you and which is just enormously valuable because through all the work that we do, Raising awareness is obviously central, whether that's a raising awareness with the public or using that as an advocacy tool with our works internationally and with governments. So that kind of thing is invaluable to us and huge thanks to those who've already helped. And if anyone else is interested, that's, that would be amazing. Other than that, on an individual level, we're a not-for-profit organization, so rely on the generosity of donors. So there's always financial donations, always very welcome through the through our central website. There's a sort of a make a donation button. And the last thing I'd say is just for those of us who are lucky enough to live in democracies, is to make your voice heard. Engage yourself if you care about a particular case or about press freedom generally. Make that known. Write to your MP if you're in the UK or your representative wherever else you are, and make. It's as citizens, it's all of our responsibility to make sure that governments understand that we care about press freedom and that we understand that press freedom is all of our freedom, because without the ability of the press to report, to hold power to account, to report on what's actually happening in the corridors of power, it's impossible for us to understand 
what's being done on our behalf and it's citizens in the end who lose out if information isn't freely available. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Fiona, for talking to me today. Anybody who is interested in reading more about the index, if you're listening to this via the World Media Group website, if you go to our news page, you'll find a summary of the report and a link directly to the Reporters Without Borders website, or simply just search for Reporters Without Borders, and it's very easy to find. That was really fascinating. The next podcast is going to be with the digital editor of Smithsonian. And he used a great phrase about journalism is about spreading light, but not heat, which I thought was fascinating. I really like that. that. That will be the next podcast after this. But again, Fiona, thank you again so much for your time and look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thank you. Thank you for having me on.